Amen. Amen. By now, you've gotten to Ephesians chapter 2, I pray. Um, and, and if you um, have, you, you, you probably, if you've read your Bible a lot, you've seen this text, you've, you've, you've read through this text. This is a very popular text. I've preached through this text before, but I want to um, come back to it this morning because I want to talk a little bit about the church as citizens, the church as household, and the church as temple. The church as citizens, the church as household, and the church as temple. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19, it says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. And in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. By his spirit. You know, back in the 1950s, there was a gentleman by the name of William, Reverend William Holmes Borders Sr. He wrote a poem, and that poem was called simply, I Am Somebody. Maybe you've heard of that poem. Maybe you've recited that poem. Maybe somebody at home has heard of this poem or recited that poem. The poem goes, I am somebody. I am somebody. I may be poor, but I am somebody. I may be young, but I am somebody. I may be on welfare, but I am somebody. I may be small, but I am somebody. I may have made mistakes, but I am somebody. My clothes are different. My face is different. My hair is different, but I am somebody. I am black, brown, or white. I speak a different language, but I must be respected, protected, never rejected. I am God's child. It was a simple poem, but it was a poem that I heard often as a kid. Maybe some of you all heard often as a kid. It was a poem that was recited. I remember being on the campus of Mississippi State, and the Reverend Jesse Jackson came and spoke on campus. And Reverend Jesse Jackson was known for going from place to place and sharing this poem and encouraging the audience to, to participate in a call and response where he would say the line and then you would repeat the line. And there at Mississippi State, on the campus of Mississippi State, in my sophomore or junior year, I was there watching Reverend Jesse Jackson and sure enough, on this campus with college students of all shapes, shape, shades and, and colors and, and intellectual capacity, he recited that poem and encouraged us to recite it back to him. I am somebody. In fact, he used this poem in, uh, in, in a 1972 episode of Sesame Street with, a, with a, a, a group of kids of different ethnicities, different colors, different classes. And he encouraged the kids to recite this poem back to him. I am somebody. And what's going on here? Why did this poem resonate so much with so many people? Why did Reverend Jesse Jackson go from place to place encouraging people to recite this poem? Well, it's quite simple. Because Reverend Jesse Jackson understands that who we are or who we believe to be is very much tied to what we do. Our identity is very much tied to our activity. Your identity is tied to your activity. He talked to those kids, those underprivileged kids on that Sesame Street episode, and he wanted them to know that they were somebody. Why? Because he wanted them to do something in life. 
And one of the and one of, and one of the assurances or one of the one of the few guarantees that we have in life is that people who think nothing of themselves are always in some ways impacted in terms of what they do. It's funny because it seems like the Bible understands this as well. You know, it, when, when we look at this text in verses 19, 19 through 22, what we see is a formation of identity. Because our identity is tied to our activity. Who we believe ourselves to be will impact what we actually do in this life. In order for the church to perform its mission in the world, in order for Paul to get to all of the behaviors that come in chapters 4 and chapters 5 of Ephesians, in the latter chapters of Ephesians, Paul sets forth to establish the identity of the church, to let the church know who they are in order that what they do might be shaped. In order for the church to perform its mission in the world, it is vital that we understand exactly who we are. And in these four verses, we discover who we are. We discover that we are citizens of another nation. We discover that we are members of another household. We discover that we are a temple of the one true God. And so in this text, we find out, we, we answer the questions, who are you? And we answer the questions, how did you become who you are? And we answer the questions, who are you becoming? Who are you? How did you become who you are? And who are you becoming? Verse 19, it says, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are no longer strangers and aliens. As most of you probably know, the, the Jewish people, um, they, they saw the world through two lenses. Those who were Jews and those who were Gentiles or non-Jews. The Jews were considered the people of God. Scripture tells us that they were given the promises of God, that they were given the covenants of God. Scripture tells us in Romans 3, Paul tells us that, that, the, that the Jews were given the oracles of God. In other words, the very words of God were shared with them. The Gentiles, however, were considered outsiders. Their, their gods were not the true God. They had no covenants, at least none of worth and value. Their their prophets spoke no words from God. They didn't have the oracles. Even those who adhered and observed the religious customs and the religious traditions and the religious laws of the Jewish people were treated as outsiders. They had distance between themselves. One theologian describes the condition of the stranger in the aliens or the non-Jews or the Gentiles in this way. He says the word foreigners in Ephesians 2 emphasizes strangeness. The word aliens emphasizes sojourner, sojourner. People who temporarily lived beside the house. They lived beside the house, not in the house, but beside the house. The Jews tolerated them with some distaste, but such people did not have the rights of citizenship. They were bound by Jewish laws, but were not allowed to share in sacred activities such as a Passover supper. They were, they were sojourners. They were on the outside. They were beside the house. 
This was the condition of the Gentile prior to Jesus, which, by the way, that's most of us. Most of us are in that camp. Most of us watching are in that camp. We are Gentiles. We are non-Jews. Most of us are not Jewish in ethnicity. Most of us aren't even Jewish in our practices, in our observance of traditions. Most of us are outsiders, and most of us would have continued to be outsiders. In fact, right here in chapter 2, if you look a few verses up at verse 11 through 12, you read this. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You were alienated. You were separated. You had no hope. You were without God in the world. For some of you watching, this is not news. For some of you listening, this is not news for you. This is literally the story of your life. You've always been on the outside of every social group that has ever been around you. You don't need any reminders that you're an outsider. You felt that practically since the day you were born. For others that are watching, though, this is big news. Because you've literally, your entire life, always been on the inside. You've always been considered in high regard. Maybe it was your inside status as a popular student in high school or college. Or maybe it was your inside status in your, in your family name and what that family name meant to a certain group of people or a certain community. Maybe it was your inside status that was afforded to you based on your money or based on your social status, or maybe it was your inside status based on what you believed about your own ethnicity. There's so many reasons that people believe themselves to be on the inside, and Paul says, no, 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 you're on the outside too. The Apostle Paul, in fact, shares this brutal, or the Apostle Peter, rather, shares this brutal truth about our status before Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, once you were not a people, you were not a people, but you were God's people now. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, here's a lesson, again, about identity. We are ultimately defined by who defines us. We are ultimately defined by who defines us. See, when all that defines us are idols and lesser things, our identity is reduced to these lesser things. We become what we worship. Without God in the world, we are nothing more than aliens and strangers, outsiders, nomads, people without a home, but with God. With God, our relationship with Jesus changes our status from strangers to citizens and members of the household of God. Paul says that before this divine transaction, you were on the outside looking in. But now, through this divine transaction, verse 19 again, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Our identity is changed in an instant. We go from outsiders in an instant to insiders. 
We go from no people in an instant to a people, from strangers and sojourners, nomads, to permanent citizens and members of the household of God. And where is that citizenship? Where is that membership? Where is it realized? Where do we discover that citizenship and that membership? You discover it through the church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the church that, we, that reminds us that we are now a part of a new community. It is the church that reminds us that we are now a part of a divine family. It is the church that reminds us that we are now a part of a royal commonwealth, kingdom commonwealth. It is the church that we are reminded that we may have not at one point been a people, but now we are a people. It is the church, it's the church that reminds us that we are now a part of God's household when we once were without a home. However, the good news doesn't stop there. Paul tells his Ephesian audience that they are not only, that they not only have been moved from the outside of God's kingdom to the inside of God's kingdom, but they've been given equal status in the house. They are fellow citizens. They are members of the household. Gentiles who, worst case, were despised and Best case, were tolerated by the Jews. Now, as members of the household, have been given equal access to God, have been given equal access to the kingdom, have been given equal access to the kingdom promises. Remember, the temple was literally constructed in such a way to remind those who were not Jews that they were not God's people. It was constructed in such a way to put them on the outside and the outskirts, to separate them, to create walls of separation, to create boundaries, to let them know that they were outsiders. But Paul is now declaring that through Christ, they are very much citizens of this kingdom. They are as much of, or they are as much a member of this household as any other citizen and any other household member. You are as much a member of this household as any other citizen or any other household member. On your very worst days, it would serve your soul well to remind yourself of this truth. Through Christ, I am no longer on the outside. Through Christ, I am a citizen of royal kingdom, a member of royal household in which I receive all the rights of any other citizen and any other member. God has, God is, and God will care for me like he does any other one of his children. Some of you need to be reminded of this. Some of you need to be reminded of that truth in the midst of this chaos that we are living in in this present moment. You belong to him. You are a member of his house. You are a citizen of his commonwealth. And thus, he will not withhold any rights of citizenship from you. The psalmist says in Psalm 84, verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. Listen, 
no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. However, this new status that Paul is declaring for the outsiders is not only controversial because of the religious and the spiritual divide that existed between these groups, Jew and Gentile. It is controversial, actually, because of the social and the, and the racial divide that existed between these groups. See, in Paul's day, there was great racial animosity directed towards Jews. In fact, one theologian describes this tension that probably was happening at the time that Paul wrote this letter to Ephesians. He describes it in this way. Listen, around the time Paul was writing these words, arguing for racial unity in Christ, Jews and Syrians were massacring each other in the streets of Caesarea, a city where he had not a, a city where he had been not long before. I'm sorry, a city where he had not been long before. Here, Paul does not simply mimic a common stand against racism in his culture. He condemns racism and segregation of a religious institution, even though he has to challenge his culture to do so. In the streets, a I don't know how you say this, Caesarea. I'm hoping I'm saying that right. But it's almost like Caesarea. Caesarea, there it is. It rolled off the tongue once I said it. There we go. In the city of Caesarea, there are people all over the place at war, Jews and Syrians. Even as Paul is writing this, this text to the Ephesian church and saying, listen, guys, we are now one body. We are one household. We are of one nation, one citizenship. Paul would have very well understood the tensions of our common day, is my point. He would have seen the civil unrest that exists even in our day and said that that looks somewhat familiar. He would have seen the underlying animosity that exists in our country and at times, unfortunately, even in our churches and said, I know that animosity. And yet, here he is in Ephesians 2, looking at the church. And he's saying that, listen, if you are a blood-bought believer of Jesus Christ, then you are a fellow citizen, Jew and Gentile alike. You are a member of the household. Jew and Gentile alike. Every kingdom right reserved for you is reserved for them. Every bit of access that you enjoy to the throne of grace, they enjoy to the throne of grace. One of the signs that we obviously have so much work to do and so far to go in the American church is how much of a leap we think living this out really is. We, we think think that living this out where different races, different ethnicities rather, are coming together in one space and that they see themselves as, as members of the same household and they see themselves as, as citizens of the same, same commonwealth, that we see that is so far removed, it seems like such a mental leap for us. We think to ourselves that the hurdles we have in place in this generation are far too insurmountable to, to overcome. But what we have to understand is that these are the same hurdles that existed even in Paul's day. And Paul doesn't see it as anything abnormal. Paul sees it as the church being the church. This is not optional for Paul, in other words. This is expected by Paul. This is who we are. 
But how did we become who we are? Verse 19 through 22 tell us who we are. But actually, verses 13 through 18 tell us how we became who we are. We hear it in beginning at verse 13. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were all on the outside. We were outside of actual fellowship with God. We were outside of actual relationship with God. We were outside of the family. We were outside of the citizenship in the kingdom commonwealth. But Christ brought us inside. He made us citizens of the kingdom commonwealth. He, he, made, us, he made us a part of the same household, listen, with his own blood. In other words... When Jesus died, he made us family. His death makes us family. So get this, we are a part of the kingdom because the king died. You enjoy king, kingship or you enjoy the rights of the king. You enjoy the citizenship of the kingdom because the king died. You, deserve, you enjoy the privileges that come with the kingdom because the king died. You have been fortified into one kingdom despite ethnicity, despite culture, despite backgrounds because the king died. He is the fuel and the source and he is the object. He is out of our unity is driving us towards him because he died. We unify because he died, but we are unified because he died. Do you understand? Verse 13, it says, verse 14, it says, for he himself is our peace. The peace that has been established between us and God and the peace that has been established between us and us, one another, it comes as a result of the king dying. You have peace because the king died. How can I, how can I overcome all of the crazy animosity of, of, of the day that I'm living in? The king died. How can I learn to love people that have hurt me and harmed me in such brutal ways? The king died. How can I get over our political divisions? The king died. How can I give up, get over my cultural differences? The king died. We don't say that enough. When we're trying to wrestle with all of these tensions that, that exist in our culture, it's because we don't realize, it's because we haven't pondered on the fact and the reality enough that the king has died. He died for this. He paid the price for this. There is no other reason why we are household there, or, or members of the same house. There is no other reason that we are citizens of the same commonwealth besides the reality and the truth that the king has died. Does that shape you? Does that fuel you? Does that motivate you to say, I'm going to push past my differences? Why? Because the king has died. He died for this. Paul says that he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall 
of hostility. He broke down in his own flesh again. The king has died. And when he died, the dividing wall of hostility that separates us, that causes, causes one to elevate themselves over the other, that causes one to think of themselves less than the other, he's broken those things down through his own death. Says he abolished the laws of commandments expressed in the ordinances. He abolished the requirements that creates the separation. He, he abolished the ordinances that creates the distinction from one to the next. Through his own death, he abolished those things. Paul says that in his death, no longer can anyone boast. No longer can anyone say that I deserve to be with God and you don't deserve to be with God. The king died, and when the king died, all of our accomplishments were laid flat. We all look to his righteousness to be considered members of this kingdom. We all look to his righteousness to be considered members of this household. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, it says that this citizenship that we have and this membership of, in the household that we have it says in chapter 2, verse 20, that it is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. What does that mean? It simply means this, that the apostles and the prophets proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to us. And that is the foundation by which our citizenship has been established. That Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. He is the stone in which all the pressure and the weight of the house rest upon and is made steady and steadfast. In other words, this house, this house of unity, this house of kingdom, this house of citizenship, it is sitting on Jesus. You take Jesus, you take that stone out, and the house falls. The entire house falls, which is why you can't establish unity through any other means, and which is why it is an offense to see the church not have it, because the church has the stone. The church has the cornerstone by which the whole body can rest upon and unity be established, citizenship be established, family be established. This is how we became who we are. Never, never consider yourself a member of this kingdom apart from Jesus. You are who you are because the king died. Lastly, who are you becoming? Verse 21 and 22, it says, In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's been said that, it's been said that Paul would have said this, or, or during, during this time, that there was even the construction happening of the temple in this period, and it's almost as if that God is looking past that temple and saying, that's not where I dwell. I dwell here with you, in you. That the, that the, that the temple is no longer considered the place of habitat for God. He's saying that the dwelling place is in the people of God. Here's another interesting thing, an important thing about who we are becoming. 
Whoever we are becoming, we are becoming it together. Whoever we are becoming, which is citizens, members of the household, a temple, we are becoming that together. We continue to see it over and over and over again as we study the nature of the church. Who you are is connected to who we are. That you simply just can't be you in an individual sense. You have to be you in a corporate sense. That very rarely do you ever see Jesus describe you in terms of yourself. That when you hear Jesus refer to his people, he is referring to them as a people. Whoever we are becoming, we are becoming that together. Meaning that some growth, listen to me. Some growth you cannot experience apart from the family of God. There's no me in Christ without the we in Christ. Listen to this. Think about it. In whom the whole structure being joined together, verse 21, joined together, grows into a holy temple. Joined together, grows into a holy temple. Disjointed, no growth. Together, growing into a holy temple. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place. Disjointed, that's not how the construction happens. The construction happens together. We are being built into a dwelling place. Fellow citizens, he describes us as fellow citizens. We go from isolated and, and scattered strangers and aliens to fellow citizens, residents of the same kingdom, but united under a singular identity. We go from being joined or we go from being not a people to now being considered part of a holy temple that is built up together. This new identity is established in a collective way not an individual way. See, one of the most significant things that Jesus is doing in you and that which, is, which he is doing, that which he is doing in you is divinely and eternally tied to other people. Some of the most significant things that Jesus is doing with you and in you is divinely and eternally tied to other people. Some of God's manifested presence reserved for you is divinely tied and eternally tied to other people. Some of the spiritual deficiencies that you wrestle and struggle with, and in fact, you know this to be true, you know this to be true, is tied to the community that you neglect and ignore. You see, the more you distance yourself, you've experienced this, the more you distance yourself from the community, the harder it seems to actually continue to walk in line with the ordinances of God. The harder it seems to live with this daily reality that you are, in fact, his. The hardest seems to live with this daily re reminder that you are a citizen of a divine and, and, and heavenly commonwealth. 
Now, out of that, there's two real quick words of wisdom that I want to share with you, and and that's this. Number one, COVID-19 has probably tested that in ways that you have never had that tested in your life as a Christian. And so it is the probably the greatest single obstacle of my lifetime, at least, as it relates to community, kingdom community, and Christian community. But it is not one and cannot be one that I allow to be an excuse. I got to establish, I got I to gotta continue to stay connected. Because what? Because I receive strength from that connection. That God is building a temple. God is building a dwelling place. And that temple and dwelling place is a collection of people. It is a corporate effort, not an individual effort. So what does that mean? That means that I need to figure out ways to do that, whether it's phone calls, whether it's Zoom calls, whether it's going out and standing six feet apart from each other in a park, whether it's whatever, be creative, but find ways to maintain connection with the people of God. But here's another word of wisdom. Engaging the community is a call to engage the whole community. Sometimes when we think about engaging the community, we think about two or three people. There's like two people in our mind, and then that's it. But engaging the community, growing as the dwelling place, growing as the temple, it's thinking about all the people in your body. It's thinking about those that are neglected. It's thinking about those that are ignored. It's thinking about those on the outskirts. And it's saying, how can I, how can I be a part of drawing them in closer? How can I be a part of being a strength to them and them being a strength to me by making sure that they aren't neglected? Do you understand that? Do you understand that? It's easy, it's easy for us to have two people in the church and everybody runs to those two or three people in the church and everybody runs to those three. But there are so many people around us, both in City Light, outside of City Light, that are a part of this body, that are a part of the body of Christ, that are a part of the kingdom commonwealth, that need, need that community. So we must ask ourselves and wrestle with the reality of how are we connected to those people? In what ways are we connecting ourselves to those people? Again, this is not something that happens as individuals. This is something that happens corporately. We collectively are becoming a temple. We are somebody, as the old reverend poetically told us. We are somebody. But we are somebody not because of simply who we are. We are somebody because of who he is. Christ Jesus makes you and makes me somebody. In his death, we've been given rights to a heavenly kingdom. In his death, we've been given membership into a heavenly household. If you have yet to embrace him as Lord and Savior, if you have yet to lay your life down, then no matter how connected you feel, you are not as connected as you should be. As Peter says, you are a people without a people if you are a people without a God. 
if you are a people without the God. And so we invite you this morning to lay your life down, to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to turn from your life of sin and embrace his life. To trust him with your life. And in so doing, you will become a member of his house.